Hello, everybody, and welcome to, jeez, uh, it's my first show solo in months. Uh, the name of this show, I think, maybe, and this is, I know, uh, kind of a play on words, which I enjoy, but not everyone else does, but we're going to call this MMA, MMA News. It doesn't roll off the tongue, but it's Matt's Middle-Aged Mixed Martial Arts News Program. So that that's what we're going with today <laughs> in this solo edition of the show. Uh, thanks for joining me, and uh, we're going to get into all the news in uh, the world of MMA and some sports stuff too here, I think. Uh, this past weekend, we had a UFC fight night. This was Cejudo versus Dillashaw. This was uh, the first show in the ESPN era. Part of the show aired on ESPN, and another part was on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, so you had to subscribe to that to see this entire card. It took place in Brooklyn, New York at the Barclays Center on Saturday, January 19th. Attendance was 12,152, with a total gate of 1.2 million. Uh, U, uh, UFC and ESPN put out some numbers uh, after the first show. They're claiming that they got 525,000 new subscribers, uh, and I believe that's a, at $5 a month, which sounds like a good number just on, on you know, what one day. They, they got almost half a million uh, subscribers, which is pretty good. Uh, it sounds successful to me. And then uh, the prelims that aired on regular old ESPN uh, did a, uh, I believe, a 1.4 rating and um, almost 2 million viewers, which was the highest for prelims for a non-pay-per-view show dating back five years. Uh, the prelims did follow a Duke uh, NCAA basketball game, so that might have given the show a bump. But either way, uh, out of the gate here, this ESPN and UFC relationship seems pretty successful. Um, obviously, it's just the first show and it's very early on, but uh, it, it's, it seems like they're doing something right so far. The actual broadcast itself didn't feel that much different from the Fox shows or previous UFC shows. Uh, UFC is still producing these things, so it, it felt pretty much the same as any other show that was on Fox over the last seven years, except it had an ESPN logo on it. And uh, Stephen A. Smith was ranting and raving at various points during the show. They also had uh, striking coach Trevor Whitman uh, providing some analysis in between rounds and things like that. But otherwise, this... This didn't feel that much different from any other UFC programming in the past, which could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you feel about it. Um, a little different feel to the shows couldn't hurt. Um, I mean, they, they've looked the same for a long time now, but uh, I, I, for the most part, enjoyed the show and didn't have a lot of issues. Um, Stephen A. Smith doesn't really know what he's talking about when it comes to MMA, but He's a name. He's popular to ESPN fans. He's got those morning shows. He's on basketball games. So um, it was a familiar face for people who watch ESPN but might not be that familiar with UFC. So I get why they did it. But at the same time, I can kind of see through that shtick there with him. 
uh, yelling and ranting and raving. But in the main event, we had Henry Cejudo defeating TJ Dillashaw uh, at 32 seconds of the first round. This was a, a TKO stoppage. Um, it was probably a little early. That that was the talk after the show. And I, I agree. Um, it, it was quick. Dillashaw was rocked. He was kind of flopping around, but he wasn't out. Um, he kind of was trying for a single leg, but wasn't even close on it and was taking some punches. Um, could it have gone a little longer? Yes. Uh, is it the most outrageous, terrible stoppage I've ever seen? No. Um, again, I, I think it's always better to err on the side of caution, but I wouldn't have had a problem with this going a few more seconds to see if Dillashaw could kind of, um, regain his senses and get back in there. He was not happy with the stoppage. He was, um, I don't want to say a sore sport about it, but he he was whining a little bit that he felt like this opportunity was taken away from him. He did uh, manage to make weight. He dropped down, you know, from 135 to 125. It wasn't an easy cut. Then you lose in 32 seconds. It's got to be uh, hard to take. What this means for the flyweight division in Cejudo, I don't know. There was talk after the fight from Cejudo that he'd like to move up to 135 and fight Dillashaw again. Um, if he really wants to do that, I don't know what his intention was in saying he was trying to save the flyweight division in the UFC because there's been rumors that they're going to disband that division just because it doesn't draw that well. Um, Cejudo coming off a win against Demetrius Johnson and Dillashaw, though, is interesting at this point because um you know he's an olympic gold medalist he's beaten you know possibly the best bantamweight ever definitely the best flyweight ever um so that, that there's a there's some momentum there for him I, I i'm not sure if he can be a draw if he's got um that sort of charisma um but he's really really improved ever since the the wilson hayes fight um, his striking's gotten much better. He hits hard. Um, you know, there, there's some real athleticism at a higher level than, you know, pretty much every UFC fighter. He's an Olympic gold medalist. Um, and, and now all, all that training in the MMA is starting to pay off and you're seeing him reach his full potential here. Um, no idea who he could fight next. Um, obviously, Benavides would be a name. Um, he he won a fight lower on the card over Dustin Ortiz. Benavides is obviously a perennial top three flyweight contender, probably one of the most underrated fighters on the planet, but there's not a lot of name value there. And I, that would be another probably 100,000 by pay-per-view if they try to headline a, a UFC pay-per-view with that. Um, they could keep trying to build Cejudo, maybe do the Benavides fight on on a ESPN show, um, try and get him some name recognition like, like they did with DJ, although that didn't really pay off in the end. Um, maybe Cejudo's got a little a little more fire, a little more charisma, charm than than Johnson did, and he can, um, you know, get get more viewers. But time will tell. Uh, how all that washes out, but a good win for Cejudo, and he, he's making a claim to be, you know, a truly elite MMA fighter at this point, the total package. Uh, in the co-main event, we had uh, the infamous one, Greg Hardy, former NFL lineman, 
accused of domestic abuse, actually losing in this fight to uh, Alan Crowder, kind of an unheralded, I believe, seven and three pro fighter. Um, Hardy lost after an illegal knee, which was pretty ironic. Uh, Crowder was down on one knee and Hardy just drilled him with a knee to the head and uh, Crowder couldn't continue the fight. And uh, essentially, it was a weird fight. Hardy came out fast early, landed some good shots, but Crowder's experience, um, ability to get the fight to the ground, kind of clinch up against the cage. It was just a more experienced guy, um, you know, using his, his veteran skill to beat Hardy. I mean, Crowder is not the athlete Hardy is. He doesn't hit as hard as Hardy, but um, he's been in the cage a lot more time. He's got a lot more experience and he used it to his advantage. Uh, towards the end of the fight, Crowder was yelling at Hardy, telling him to come on. And, and clearly the fight was in Crowder's favor when Hardy hit that knee on the ground. Um, not sure if Hardy was looking for a way out, if it was just inexperience, um, if he's not that familiar with the rules, uh, what it was. It might be a combination of all those things. But either way, th- this wasn't a good look for Hardy um, to you know lose in his first big fight with a clearly blatantly illegal strike. Uh, it's not how you want to you know, get your career going in the, in the UFC. So Hardy falls to, I guess, three and one now since he lost by DQ as a pro. Um, Tina White, interestingly, said he was impressed with Hardy's performance and thought he looked pretty good. Uh, I did not have the same takeaway. I thought, I thought he looked inexperienced and out of his depth here, but, uh, when you hear Dana say that you got to think they'll bring Hardy back for another fight. Uh, against who, I don't know. It's going to have to be another low-level guy without much experience. Um, But it's a weird thing because if it's really an inexperienced guy, Hardy will probably just blitz him and knock him out because he hits so hard. And then, you know, in a fight or two, Hardy fights somebody decent who can take him down. Um, It's going to be tough booking him going forward. I'm not exactly sure how you do it. unless you put him in there with good guys and he loses and and you tell him to pack his bags. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how that, how that plays out over the next couple months here. We also had Gregor Gillespie defeating Yancy Medeiros by TKO at 459 of the second. Uh, Big win for, for Gillespie here. He's a NCAA wrestling champ. Uh, Obviously great grappling, great wrestling. He was just able to dominate Medeiros on the ground and get takedowns and take his back and, um, you know, just kind of beat him up. Medeiros had no answers for the takedowns. Um, and Medeiros is a real fighter. He's been in the UFC a while. He's fought at um, uh, 170 pounds as well. So he's a bigger guy. And Gillespie really had no problem with him. Um, the thing that's interesting with Gillespie is he refuses to call out fighters, won't talk any trash, just wants to go in there and fight. And then in between fights, he goes goes fishing, essentially. He's uh, an interesting guy. And I'll be curious to see if that catches on because it is kind of refreshing in in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he, he he's a different a different breed, I guess you could say. I think I read somewhere also that he was robbed 
<laughs> following his win at uh, UFC Brooklyn here. Um, he claims to, uh, on it was on Instagram, he put up a post. He wrote, to whoever it is who stole mine and one of my coach's fight bags at the Barclays Center tonight, could you please just return my wallet and my mouth guards? If you stole the bag for some memorabilia, that's cool. You can keep that if you want. But I really like my wallet and mouth guards back. I really don't want to go to the DMV. Uh, understandable. Nobody likes the DMV. The lines take a long time. Uh, I, I don't know if he ever got him back. I'm guessing he didn't. But, um, you know, I guess, I guess in Gillespie's case, you win some. And you lose some, and in this case, he lost his wallet but won a fight. I'd uh, love to see him get somebody in the top 10 next. Um, I'm not sure who, because the question will be, like, how how truly good is his striking? I, I don't think that's really been tested yet. Um, if he went up and fought somebody like Ally Quinta, Quinta might be able to stop some of the takedowns and light him up on the feet. I I, I don't know. Um, but he needs a, a bigger challenge, a better fighter, a higher caliber guys. Um, 155 is a great division. There's plenty of guys at 155 who could fight him. Um, so, yeah, that's Gregor Gillespie in a nutshell. Uh, we also had, as I mentioned earlier, Joseph Benavides defeating Dustin Ortiz. Unanimous decision. Uh, probably makes... Benavidez is the number one contender at flyweight now. Uh, Paige Van Zant defeated Rachel Ostevich by armbar. Um, kind of a, a, a fun fight. A, a lot of grappling. Um, neither of these women are going to be, you know, knocking at the door at a title shot at women's flyweight anytime soon. Uh, but a fun fight nonetheless. A, a win for Paige after a couple of losses. Um yeah, that's all I really got to say on that one. In the opener, Glover Teixeira defeated Carl Roberson with a arm triangle at 321 of the first. Roberson was moving up from 185 to take Teixeira on on short notice. Uh, actually, a really fun fight here as well. Roberson rocked Teixeira early. Head mount was beaten on him. Then Teixeira kind of just... You know, use that veteran experience, sort of like uh, Alan Crowder uh, against Greg Hardy. He just kind of weathered the storm, got position back, took Roberson down a couple times, and got the arm triangle. And Roberson kind of looked like a fish out of water on his back, and Teixeira got the win. It, it was it was pretty impressive. I mean, he, he took a beating early and was able to come back. Um, Glover's 40 now. I, I, I don't think there's a lot of time left for him as a pro fighter, but a uh, good win here nonetheless. Uh, on the prelim card on ESPN, Donald Cerrone defeated Alexander Hernandez by TKO, head kick and punches at 343 of the second. Great win for Cerrone. He um, took some shots early. Hernandez kind of tried to blitz him early. Uh, Cerrone had a big hematoma, I think, on the, on the left side of his temple. Um, but again, weathered the storm, used that veteran experience, and was just lighting Hernandez up more and more as the fight progressed. And Hernandez just um, was out of his league here. Cerrone was the much better striker, coming down to 155 for the first time in, in years after fighting at 170, and, and looked good. Uh, after the fight, uh, Cerrone had his... Uh, kid in the ring again. Uh, people always like that. 
he um, wants to fight with um, a guy named Conor McGregor from Ireland, which I, I think would be a fun fight. I, I would pay money for that fight. Um, I feel like Cerrone deserves that fight at this point in his career. He's got the most wins, the most finishes, the most bonuses. Um, he fights all the time and he goes out there to fight. Um, give him the Connor fight. It's a good fight for Connor too at 155. It's a guy that'll be exciting and um, it's a fight Connor could win, I think, at this stage in the game. I, I think Cerrone's slowed down a little bit, even though he got this win over. Hernandez, I, I don't think this is prime Cerrone. I think he's been in a lot of wars. Um, he's still dangerous. He's still tough. He's still going to beat a lot of guys. But I think matchmaking-wise, if UFC is looking for, you know, Conor McGregor to get a win and maybe get a title shot and kind of build Conor back up, this could be a fight to do it. It's not a sure thing. Conor beats him. Cerrone could light him up. Who 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 knows what mind frame and... Um, where Conor McGregor's head's at, how hard is he going to train for a Cerrone fight, I, I don't know. Um, but if if Conor's 100% in and still into MMA and still wants to be a world champion, I, I think this could be a good fight to get him there again. Um, rushing back to a Khabib fight, you know, I, I, I think he probably loses that fight and... Um, that that could really hurt him moving forward. A win over Cerrone, then Khabib, and even if he loses Khabib, people will still remember the Cerrone win. Um, on Twitter, Connor said he was um totally willing to fight Cerrone. He wrote, "For a fight like that, Donald, I'll fight you. Congratulations." That got. I think like 150,000 likes on Twitter. So it sounds like a fight people would get behind. I think they could go back and forth verbally. They had that old interaction at one of the pressers where uh, Cerrone was going back and forth with Connor and Connor yelled, yeehaw. Uh, so they can play off of that. There's something there that I think would do good box office and be good for both guys. And if anything, nobody deserves a big payday more than Donald Cowboy Cerrone. The guy fights all the time. He'll fight anybody. He gets beat up and he keeps going out there. Um, give the guy, give the guy the fight. Uh, in other Conor McGregor news, uh, jumping around here a bit, but uh, Polly Malinaji and Conor are still going at it on Twitter. Malinaji is now claiming that Conor McGregor is attracted to him and is probably gay and feels like he's being sexually harassed by Conor. Uh, Malinaji did this interview a few days ago. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. Um, he said, quote, unquote, uh, this is not homophobic or anything, but I'm starting to feel like it's a weird gay thing. As a man, I have my rights, and I don't like another man coming on to me like that. Uh, I don't go that way, and I have the right to be a straight man if I want to be. I don't feel like I want to go that way, but I feel like he wants me on his mind. I, I don't know if Malinaji is trying to build a fight, if he really thinks this, what he's talking about. Um, they've been feuding ever since the, the Mayweather McGregor fight 
in that training where it looks like McGregor knocked Malinaji down. Um, it's just been going on and on, and I don't know if they're trying to build a fight, if they're both trying to just keep their name in the media, but um, Malinaji claiming Connor's um, trying to get into his pants is a odd twist to the story. Um, I don't think Connor has responded to that yet, uh, but I'm guessing he will at some point. Um, in other news, uh, what else did we have on this fight night show? Uh, Joanne Calderwood defeated Arion Lipsky. Alonzo Manafield defeated Vinicius Morea. Uh, Corey Sanhagen defeated Mario Batista. And on the early prelims on ESPN+, Dennis Bermudez defeated... T. Edwards, uh, Bermuda's retired after the fight. Um, Jeff Neal, who interests me because he is a waiter slash server full-time when he's not training for MMA, defeated Bilal Muhammad by unanimous decision. And uh, Chance Raccoon-Trer defeated Kyle Stewart with a rear naked choke at 225 of the first. Bonuses went to Henry Cejudo and Donald Cerrone for performance of the night. And Cerrone versus Hernandez got fight of the night. So Cerrone walked out with an extra hundred grand to spend on jet skis and scuba diving equipment and boogie boards. Uh, oh, b- before the show, uh, I found this funny. Ariel Hawani... Um, was criticizing the UFC for booking Greg Hardy and uh, Rachel Ostevich on the same show here. And he even asked Greg Hardy about it. What do you think? Um, Dana White was interviewed by, I believe, TMZ about it. And he said uh, that he doesn't give a shit what Ariel Helwani thinks. Um, I'm trying to find the exact quote here. I pretty much nailed it on the head. White said, I don't give a shit what Ariel Hawani thinks. Who the fuck is Ariel Hawani to question anything that we do? I think we've done a pretty good job in 20 years. I could give a shit what he thinks or anybody else for that matter. Um, he has a point. They've done a pretty good job the last 20 years. I agree. Um, Hawani was essentially just saying it was tone deaf to have this guy who I believe was convicted of domestic abuse, assault, whatever you want to call it, on the same show as a woman who was just beat up by her husband and was almost pulled from the fight because of the injury she sustained from her husband hitting her. It was a little tone deaf. It didn't really blow up in the UFC's face. There wasn't a lot of media coverage of it. Um, I think a lot of people at this point are going with the idea that, you know, people deserve second chances. Rachel Ostevich said she didn't have an issue with it and that Hardy deserved a second chance. Um, and there's some truth there. Could they have booked him on separate shows? Probably. Um, was Hardy on the show for ratings? Yes. Was Ostevich and Paige Van Zandt on the show for ratings? Yes. Um, you know, I, I can see both sides of the story. Uh, if it were me, I probably would not have booked them on the same show. But in the end, it doesn't really seem to have mattered that much for the UFC. Uh, ratings were good. Um, there wasn't a lot of backlash. If anything, there was more 
complaints after the show about the officiating of um, the T.J. Dillashaw, Henry Cejudo stoppage. Um, that was the bigger story, not Greg Hardy and the domestic abuse. If anything, it was more about his illegal knee um, than anything else. So I guess in the end, it didn't really hurt the UFC. Um, but there is something amusing about Dana White going after Ariel when he's all over ESPN covering these shows on the network that the UFC is on. Um, I mean, technically, Helwani isn't a UFC employee, but he is an employee of the broadcast partner of who he's covering. So um, he's a necess- <laughs> he's a partner with the UFC. I, I don't know how you would describe that relationship, but uh, Dana White going after him is, is going to be fun to watch the next few years or however long Helwani stays on the station. Now you you got to wonder how much weight Dana has with the UFC, if he can get Helwani pulled, if he gets so pissed off at Helwani or how, how the whole story will play. But um, it is a funny, a funny relationship there. Uh, another person who was robbed over the weekend was Manny Pacquiao. He actually won his fight against Adrian Broner. Uh, unanimous decision wasn't a close fight, despite Broner's claims that he thought he won. Uh, while he was away in Vegas, um, apparently somebody broke into his home in Los Angeles, uh, and essentially ransacked the the house, uh, stole a bunch of stuff, and nobody was home at the time. Um, <laughs> you hear people on social media saying, oh, don't post that you're on vacation, or, you know, don't post that you're out of town for the night on social media because then robbers will know you're not home. Well, that's kind of hard to do when you're Manny Pacquiao and you're having multi-million dollar boxing cards in Las Vegas. I don't think it's possible in his case to hide his whereabouts sometimes, but if you know somebody's going to be in Vegas for a couple of days boxing and probably his whole family has been flown out to Vegas as well, you know, it might be easy to break into their house then. Um, so I guess... Much like Gregor Gillespie, Pacquiao got a win and a loss this weekend. Um, I'm not, I don't have a lot of details on what was taken from the house, but um, yeah, there's definitely a burglary. Uh, that has been confirmed. I'm trying to see if I can get a little more info. I'm actually looking at a Time Magazine, or I guess Time, Time Magazine, Time.com article about it, and there's not a lot of detail in regards to what was taken, but... Um, yeah, if you're famous, maybe you need somebody to watch your house while you're, uh, making millions of dollars on pay-per-view. I don't know. Um, it said, I, I think I saw some early numbers on that show too, saying like 400,000 buys, which is pretty good for, for Pacquiao, uh, fight at this stage of the game. Um, I mean, Broner's a name, but he's not a elite, elite fighter. Obviously if Pacquiao lit him up at 40 years old. That's kind of obvious at this point. But, um, you know, two name fighters doing 400,000 buys. Pacquiao, um, you know, with a couple losses and the Jeff Horn fight on free TV. Um, able to do 400,000 buys. That was pretty pretty good number, I would say. Um, 
So maybe maybe boxing on pay-per-view isn't dead, even with the zone taking over. Um, if you have the right fight and people want to see it, you can still make money. Um, been saying that for a long time. Uh, let's see what else is going on. Um, oh, Fabricio Verdum was in the news. Um, he was not throwing a boomerang or you know, threatening smaller, smaller men than him, like Tony Ferguson or uh, Coach Edmund there. He, there was a video that came out. It looks like um, his wife filmed this from the beach. They were in California, and um, apparently there were a couple teenagers who were having trouble in the water. Um, he apparently took his coat off and jumped in to help a lifeguard save these kids. Um, Verdum told AG Fight, quote, unquote, when we saw the fireman's car, the car stopped in front of us. I said I was going to help, and my wife wasn't too sure because it was dangerous, but when I looked, there were two tiny heads at sea yelling help. They were very far, about 70 meters away. When the lifeguard grabbed the board by himself, I took off my coat and ran. I took the orange floater, threw it across my chest, and I arrived with him a little further ahead even. I told him to get the girl who was screaming a lot, and I got the boy who was already limp. I was able to get to him, and we swam towards the beach. Then at shore, an old man helped me. The waves were big. The girl sank about three times. Um, so... I'm not a big Fabricio Verdum fan, um, just based on some of his history and some of the things he's said in the past that I don't agree with. But by the looks of things and the sounds of things, if everything checks out, he, he sa potentially saved a couple kids' lives here. So um, I, I can eat crow a little bit and say, nice job, Fabricio Verdum. Um, maybe you're not as big of a jerk as I thought. Although, if you're heavyweight, former heavyweight world champion of the world, and you saw two smaller kids drowning, it would be assumed you'd probably go help them. But even so, he did it and maybe saved a life here. So um, I'm sure there's some parents and kids out there thanking Verdum uh, vociferously at this point. Um, Keep in mind, Verdum is currently serving a two-year suspension after failing an out-of-competition drug test, uh, and he's also requested his release from the UFC so he can fight in, like, Eastern Europe for Chechen dictators. <sighs> Human beings are complicated creatures. We will leave it at that. <laughs> in upcoming fight news, Rory McDonald and John Fitch has been booked for Bellator in April. This fight would have been pretty cool, I don't know, 10 years ago. Um, this is part of the Welterweight Grand Prix. It's the first round uh, fight for McDonald and Fitch. McDonald uh, will be defending his Welterweight Championship in every round of the tournament. Um, I don't see this being a good fight for Fitch at this point in the game. Um I mean, it's going to be in San Jose on April 27th. I believe that's, um, I don't know if Fitch still trains out of AKA or not, but um, he'll probably have a home field advantage, but that is not going to get the job done against Rory McDonald at this point, um, unless McDonald's totally shot after the Musasi beating. 
uh, he took a few months ago, but McDonald has to be the heavy favorite in this one. I don't know where Fitch would have the advantage. I don't see Fitch being able to get takedowns at this point in the game. Fitch is, um, you know, well past his prime at 40 years old now. Um, he's coming off a win over Paul Daly where he could use his wrestling, but I, I don't, I think McDonald's too big and too strong for him to be able to use that wrestling at this point. But, that's why they have the fights and anything can happen. But uh, if you're looking to place a bet on that fight, I would bet on McDonald. Uh, as far as this weekend goes, no UFC shows, but there is a Bellator 214 card at the Forum in Inglewood. Um, I'm trying to figure out where the show is airing. Um, it's looks like Paramount Network and DAZN. Um, so I'm going to be honest and admit, I don't know how you can watch this show. If it's on both or what. <laughs> um, let's go to bellator.com and find out. This is exciting radio. Uh, Bellator 214. Paramount Network and DAZN see more info um main card live on paramount network so yeah I, I guess it'll be on you know the former spike uh channel which is now called paramount so you can wa maybe watch it on both maybe it's on the zone and paramount um but anyway um a, a bigger show for for bellator uh it does feature the, the finals of their heavyweight Grand Prix tournament. You've got uh, washed-up Fedor Emelianenko versus uh, light heavyweight champ Ryan Bader in the main event of the heavyweight Grand Prix. You know, Fedor's old. He's been knocked out a bunch. Um, he's had favorable matchups in his last couple fights to get here in the tournament. I mean, fighting... Frank Mir and Chael Sonnen to get here, um, you know, are winnable fights for Fedor. I think Bader's a different level kind of guy and was the odds-on favorite to win the tournament to start. He's younger, uh, has been knocked out less. Uh, Fedor still hits hard. He's probably got a puncher's chance. I mean, Tito essentially knocked out Bader you know, four or five years ago. So anything's possible in a fight. But again, I just think Bader's too young, too strong, can probably take Fedor down and just beat him up. Um, could Fedor land a lucky punch like Tito? Sure. Would I bet on it? Hell no. <laughs> Certainly not. Uh, we also have a co-main event of Aaron Pico versus Henry Corrales. Um, Pico's fighting at featherweight here. Um, looks like a real contender down the road, despite his, uh, starting off 0-1 in his career. He looks like a monster. Hits incredibly hard. Incredible wrestling. Um, training at AKA, one of the best gyms in the world. Known for, you know, bringing high-level wrestlers. Cain Velasquez. Daniel Cormier to another level in MMA. Um, 
and it seems like Pico's going in that direction. He's super young. I think he's still... I don't even know if Pico's old enough to drink. Yeah, he is. He's 22 now. Um, but he, he's looked really, really good in his last few fights. He's 4-1. and one. Um, The Leandro Higo win um, at 319 in the first round back in September. Unbelievable. Higo's a former um, title contender in Bellator. Um, Higo himself has a record of 18-5. and five. Um, so Pico's for real. Um, the question is how long does he stay in Bellator? Does he jump to UFC? Um, is he going to burn out young? Who the hell knows? But, uh, he's a guy to watch and there's some, um, he's a different level of athlete. You know, he just is, um, he's quick, he's strong, he's young. Um, he's still learning MMA and it's like, he's going to be tough to beat. He already is tough to beat, but it's going to get more and more difficult. Uh, we also have another heavyweight fight with Jake Hager, formerly of WWE, um, taking on J.W. Kaiser, a guy who I think is 0-1 as a pro and 1-3 and as an amateur. Um, this fight's clearly designed to get Hager a win. Um, I'm not hearing a lot about this fight. Hager obviously wasn't the star you know, obviously Brock Lesnar was in WWE, probably wasn't even the star Bobby Lashley was. Um, he's 36 now, former, you know, Division One NCAA wrestler. He's got a, a strong wrestling background, but he hasn't competed in, you know, legit sports since, I don't even know, let's find out, um, like 2000. He um, was in the NCAA Division One championships. Um, he was an All-American, great wrestler, but, oh, I'm sorry, 05. Either way, it's been over a decade since he's competed at a um, high level in real sports. Um, his run is Jack Swagger in WWE doesn't really equate. He was a former ECW champion, though, which is uh, important. He was also a Lucha Underground champion. He was world heavyweight champion in WWE. He was a Money in the Bank winner as well. How that's going to equate to MMA remains to be seen. I think he's a little old and um, maybe he can get some, some big name freak show fights, but I don't see a long uh, career here for Hager in MMA, um, getting back into the game into his mid to late 30s, kind of middle-aged like myself. Uh, we've also got Juan Archuleta versus Ricky Bandejas and Brandon McMahon versus Adel Altamimi opening Bellator 214. One name that caught my eye on the prelims is AJ Agazarm. He's... Uh, uh, much heralded jujitsu practitioner. This is his MMA debut. Um, another guy to watch. Just another name. You know, sometimes um, a lot of these jujitsu guys, you know, get into MMA and can't strike or get a takedown and end up getting lit up on the feet. But then you also have guys like Damian Maya who can adapt and, you know, become decent on the feet and get the takedowns and, and do damage on the ground with submissions and position. Um, 
Obviously, it's too early to tell how Agazarm will pan out, but he's got a real uh, legit BJJ background and uh, will be a guy to watch moving forward. Uh, I think that's all we got in regards to MMA news this week. Uh, in other sports news, uh, we do have a Super Bowl matchup in about a week and a half. Uh, the Patriots are back in it again to much of the country's chagrin. Um, they had a real exciting game with the Chiefs, won in overtime. Brady just stormed down the field and, and got the win. They won with a touchdown. Um, quite a few questionable calls in the game. There was a roughing the passer call that didn't look like roughing the passer, maybe an incomplete pass. Um, some different plays that went the Patriots way, which is a lot of times how you get into the Super Bowl anyway. All these teams are really good and sometimes you need some breaks and um the Patriots got some breaks in this one again. Uh although some calls went the Chiefs way too, but I mean it is it is what it is. Uh this'll be the ninth Super Bowl for Tom Brady, which is totally insane. Uh, some records Brady now owns. Uh, he has the most regular season wins by a starting quarterback, most passing yards between the regular season and playoffs, most passing touchdowns with the postseason included, most touchdowns thrown to different receivers at 71, 16 division titles, 39 playoff games started, 29 playoff wins, 73 playoff touchdown passes, Nine Super Bowl appearances, five Super Bowl wins, four Super Bowl MVPs, 18 <laughs> touchdown passes in the Super Bowl. Um, and there's some other records certainly within his reach at this point with um, Peyton Manning retiring. Um, just unbelievable. Like if anybody argues that Tom Brady isn't the greatest quarterback of all time, they either don't know what they're talking about or they're clearly... Um, trolling you at this point. I would not take that person too seriously um, because the numbers don't lie. And he's done this in an era where, um, you know, the, the other best quarterbacks in the league can't touch what his teams have done. Um, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees, um, Peyton Manning, the, the guys of his generation, um, they might have better arms, they might be more accurate, but none of them are as clutch. Um, none of them have the record he has. I mean, nine Super Bowls is insane. That's insane. There's, like, I, I think, like, I don't have the number right in front of me, but there's over a dozen teams in the NFL that have been to no Super Bowls in this time. Um, just unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable what Brady and Belichick have managed to do. Um, you know, Brady should be well past his prime at 41 and it's like, he's still going and still going to the Super Bowl. It's, uh, unbelievable. I, I like, it sounds like hyperbole when you say, he, you know, somebody's the goat or the greatest ever, but I, I can't see how you can argue otherwise. People will, you know, you can talk about deflate gate or spy gate or whatever, but it's like after both of those controversies, they still win. You know, what, 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 why, why is he going to the Super Bowl now that they got lucky? It's like, you know, you don't get lucky nine times. You don't 
get away with cheating nine times. Um, and, and the Patriots were, were punished for those infractions as well. It's like they lost draft picks. Um, Brady got suspended for four games. Um, and, and they still <laughs> and they still win. It's um, it's crazy. It's crazy. Because at a lot of points in the season, you know, they were 11-5, and five, which is not a good record for the Patriots in the regular season. And it looked like... Um, Maybe this would be the year where things fell apart. The Brady-Belichick dynamic, um, you know, Brady's trainer traveling around with him and all that drama, um, none of it mattered. They're still back in the Super Bowl. Um, You know, they're doing things that, you know, another 30 teams are dying to do, and they do it literally all the time, (laughs) nine times since 2001. Unbelievable. In baseball news, uh, the Hall of Fame uh, inductees were announced. Mariano Rivera, Edgar Martinez, Roy Holiday, and Mike Mussina all went into the Hall. Uh, Rivera, the closer for the Yankees, um, went in unanimously. He was the first person voted in unanimously ever. Um, obviously he was a lights out closer. Unbelievable. I I can remember him coming out when the Red Sox, um, and the Yankees feud, as I call it, um, from watching too much wrestling throughout my life, uh, was at its peak, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands. And it was like, Oh God, this game's over. Um, that happened quite a bit. I mean, I think I can remember, um, David Ortiz getting a, a couple hits off of him here or there, but it was like if you saw Rivera coming out, you knew you know knew the game was pretty much over. Um, so yeah, Rivera was the highest percentage to gain Hall entry um, ever. Obviously, at a hundred percent. Second now is Ken Griffey Jr. in twenty sixteen. He had a ninety nine point three percent, you know, vote percentage. Four hundred thirty seven of four hundred forty ballots Griffey was on. Uh, but Rivera made it on every single ballot, which has never happened before. Um, Edgar Martinez got in on his final year on the ballot. Um, Halliday received 85.4%, and Mucina received 76.7%, just barely clearing the 75% threshold. Um, a couple names that did not get in. Uh, one was Kurt Schilling. Um, who doesn't scream Hall of Famer to me, even though Donald Trump thinks he should be in. He uh, didn't make it this time. He got 60% of the votes. And uh, two guys who I think personally should be in, I I think they're the best guys of, you know, that 90s, I mean, even 80s, 90s era uh, in Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. Um, Bonds was the greatest hitter of his generation and Clemens was the greatest pitcher of his generation. Um, obviously their careers have been tainted with steroid accusations and, um, I mean, everybody knows the stories there, Balco, all that stuff, but they should be in. They were the best players of that era when everybody was juicing. They were better than everybody else. I I say, let them in. Um, they deserve to be in, you know, Clemens has 300 wins. Bonds has the most home runs ever by a, a ton um, let them in, let them in, 
They deserve to be in. Uh, and the other thing is, these other guys who were getting in, were they clean? How do, how do we know that? How do we know they were clean? Um, I mean, Bonds, I don't think, ever actually failed a test anyway. It was all accusations, and obviously Bonds wasn't passing the eye test at the end. Uh, he really bulked up and put on a lot of muscle quickly. Um, and I don't doubt either Clemens or Bonds were cheating, but a lot of guys were. And we don't know for sure a guy like Mariano Rivera was clean. Um, how do we know that? I don't. We assume because he didn't fail a test. <clears throat> but how good were those tests? You know, Bonds never failed the test either. Uh, and lastly, in other, I guess you could say, drug test news, um, skateboarder Corey Jeannot has been suspended six months for smoking weed. I find this story fascinating because I had no idea skateboarders were tested, let alone by USADA, and they're testing for weed. Like, when I think about 19-year-old skateboarders, I presume a lot of them smoke weed. And I don't know how that would necessarily help you skateboard, um, why that would be an advantage, why you would get suspended six months for it. Um, it's just baffling to me. <laughs> um, and it's because skateboarding is now an Olympic sport. That's part of the story um, in Tokyo in 2020. But how many kids, I don't know if you would call them kids, I don't know what the age is to be a skateboarder in the Olympics, but how many young men and women in their late teens, early 20s, um, who skateboard, smoke weed. Like, it's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of suspensions coming, I would think, in this, you know, niche sport, this niche world. We're talking, I mean, skateboarding is big to skateboarders. It's kind of like MMA. It's, it's a niche thing. It doesn't get a lot of mainstream press. I mean, skateboarding is even probably smaller than MMA in that regard. But what the hell? You can get... Suspended for six months for smoking weed as a skateboarder. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, Corey Janot is from Southern California, currently ranked seventh in the world, and was suspended six months after testing positive for THC. Um, USADA announced Tuesday he was suspended after a urine sample collected on January 28th at an event in Brazil tested positive. Brazilian authorities allowed USADA to handle the case, and Janot was handed a six-month suspension, which was later reduced to three. Luckily for Janot, he was able to serve his suspension while the case played out, and he was reinstated on April 28th. Um, when skateboarding was announced in 2016 as part of the 2020 Olympic program, the need for drug testing immediately raised concerns. I truly believe you do better sober, but I've known guys who couldn't skate unless they were stoned. So I don't know how it's really going to work, skateboard legend Tas Papas told ABC Australia. Juno's case will be a warning to any other skaters who like to toke. 
Now it could leave you on the sidelines. Marijuana is not a performance enhancer. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It's illegal in states. I, I, I'm baffled. I'm baffled. Um, but, and, and that, that comes from somebody in myself who doesn't smoke weed ever. Um, I, I, I just don't get it. Um, the rules need to be changed. Um, and probably someday they will. In the meantime, um, if you want to be an Olympic skateboarder, uh, my advice for now is don't smoke weed or, you know, do everything you can to get this rule changed because you're going to have problems. USADA catches people doing stuff a lot. Uh, and sometimes the punishments aren't fair. Um, and they're not adjudicated well. We know that from MMA. Um, from John Jones to Leota Machida, there, there can't be more variance in how they dole out punishments. Um, so yeah, that's another interesting USADA story. That'll be another fun one to watch. Um, on that note, that's all I've got for this week. I'm sure I've gone on long enough and bored everyone. We're at about an hour now. Uh, if you sat through this whole thing, I appreciate it very much. Um, this has been MMA, MMA news. Matt's middle-aged mixed martial arts news. It's not a good name. It does not roll off the tongue. But I like wordplay. So that's what we're going with. MMA, MMA news. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later.